Speed Cafe Newscast. Your host, Mark Fogarty. Coming up, Walkinshaw Lamont planned revealed. Supercars parity and calendar update. Philip Island MotoGP preview. And a big new signing at Speed Cafe. It's all straight ahead on the Speed Cafe Newscast. Hi there, race fans. I'm Mark Fogarty. And here's what's happening. The Walkinshaw name is set to return to the Le Mans 24 hours in a bid to relive TWR's glory days nearly 40 years ago. Walkinshaw Andretti United Supercars team boss Ryan Walkinshaw has revealed his ambition to reprise his famous father's success at Le Mans later this decade. The late Tom Walkinshaw masterminded Jaguar wins there in 1988 and 1990, launching TWR as a global racing and automotive engineering empire. Now, TWR collapsed in early 2003, but the Walkinshaw family kept its Aussie outpost headlined by Holden Special Vehicles. Tom Walkinshaw later regained control of the Holden Racing Team. He died in late 2010 with a very young Ryan Walkinshaw taking over the family's Australian road and race operations. Ryan has rebuilt his father's local legacy, surviving Holden's shutdown to prosper post-HSV and to re-establish the supercars team as a force after losing the HRT imprimatur. In racing, he forged a team ownership partnership with IndyCar legend Michael Andretti and McLaren Formula One boss Zach Brown, creating Walkinshaw Andretti United. Now, all this background explains Ryan Walkinshaw's desire to take TWR back to Le Mans, which he outlined exclusively to Speed Cafe Newscast. Uh, the only impact I think would be positive. Um, you know, being partnered with someone like Andretti, if they get into Formula One, and partnering with um, you know a team that's uh, at the at the pinnacle of motorsport, whilst also having Zach, who's also whilst you know our relationship with Zach is is Andretti Autosports. Um, you know, the fact that he's you know, CEO of McLaren as well means that you know both of our partners are, are playing in the top in the top game in in, in global motorsports. So um, I think it's really really exciting. Um, I think it's actually an exciting position for Formula, for Formula One at the moment because um, I think I remember the last time they actually looked at expanding the grid, but it was it was a fair while ago. Um, and uh, you know, I always think the more more cars on track, especially when it's something like Formula One where you do want to see a bigger grid, um, I think is only a good thing. So uh, you know, they have, obviously they haven't got it approved yet, but they've got the FIA approval, which is the first step. Um, and uh, fingers crossed that the Formula One teams make the right choice and want to expand the grid and, and bring Michael into the fold because I think Cadillac and, and Andretti into Formula One would, would add a huge amount of value to the sport. Is there trickle down to WAU from Andretti and from United? Uh, yeah, of course there is. We do, we do a lot of work together. We do uh, engineering swapping, uh, engineer swap programs with them, mechanic swap programs. One of our uh, one of our engineers is is, is in. Uh, the US and, and uh, working in, in the IndyCar program uh, with Andretti and we've had mechanics that have gone over there and vice versa um, and you know we do a lot of development together 
uh, on various different projects. Some some work from us over here, helping them out over there, and, and vice versa. So it's been um, it's been a really really good partnership. But it's been like that for you know, six year, six or so years now. WAU has been the best performed Mustang team in its Gen Three defection to Ford. Major partner Andretti Global is bidding for a Formula One entry, which Ryan Walkinshaw maintains won't threaten Andretti's investment in WAU. Um, yeah, absolutely. I've made no secret of that in the past. Um, my ambitions have, have been to go back to Le Mans. Um, that's something I'd really, really like to compete in. Um, and I think it'd be quite a special story if we if we had some success there, considering my father's success at Le Mans. Um, I just think that entire that entire event and uh, and and WEC is a really, really exciting category. And I think it's um, a category that now with the new hypercar program is is going to be uh, a lot more. Uh, the, ease of, the ease of entry and the financial cost of entry is a lot less than it used to be. Um, back when you just had sort of Porsche and, and Audi uh, playing in that in that LMP1 game, um, we've spoken about doing some programs with them in in the past um, with uh, Andretti Autosports for LMP2 and LMP3. But you know, we've been so focused with supercars and, and trying to win championships here. Um, you know that's been a, a big distraction, and we're probably not ready for that yet. Um, but I would hope that um, you know before I get too old to go racing, which hopefully a long time from now, that um, you know, we'll, we'll be able to compete in something like Le Mans in the future. And if you were to compete at Le Mans, would, well, initially, I suppose, as you indicated, starting in LMP2 or something, or maybe even you know, GTs, but ultimately, would you be aiming to um, set up an operation that, can go, that could go for outright victory? Um, well, you always want to go and win. Um, obviously, the plan on how you get there is, is, hasn't been even... Uh, even remotely worked on yet, but um, you know we already have a good partnership with Andretti uh, United Autosports, uh, already competing in Le Mans, and have been very successful there. Um, so anything we do initially would be would be something as a partnership with them, I'd suspect. So, long term though, would you like to do what your father did? Well, I've already said that. Yeah. No, but no, no, but Obviously, even, obviously, of, of, obviously, we're not going to go and get a Le Mans and try and lose. Um, yeah, and, and the, the dream would be to go and, and, and run a hypercar program eventually. Um, but yeah, you'd want to go and, uh, and, and learn in some of the categories below and, uh, and build your team up in that way. And then eventually, when you're ready, go and take those steps up. But um, yeah, we'll, we'll walk before we run. Ryan Walkinshaw has grown into his role amid much early scepticism, extending his father Tom's legacy. More after this short break. Race Fuels is Australia's leading supplier of racing fuels. And with the new Bowsers at Queensland Raceway, it's never been easier to source your racing fuel trackside. Elf Race 102 is imported racing fuel direct from Europe. Offering power and protection, the Elf Race 102 is a popular fuel with racers seeking gains over pump fuel. Improve your lap times with Elf Race 102. www.racefuels.com.au All your fuel at the racetrack. You're listening to the Speed Cafe newscast. Supercars is in turmoil again. Predictably, the Bathurst 1000 triggered the parity review process and there's still no calendar for next year. Speed Cafe Supercars editor Daniel Herrero talks us through what the parity trigger means ahead of next week's Gold Coast 500. Yeah, we, we got a, a fifth trigger hit uh, with the Bathurst 1000. So the as we've explained before, the trigger is based on 
at lap times in races. Uh, the trigger had not quite been hit before Bathurst based on how the Mustangs performed at the bend. It's now been hit uh, five times in no more than uh, eight races, which means that uh, per what the teams agreed to at the start of the year, an official parity review is now underway. That'll involve Supercars Motorsport Department and the uh, homologation teams, particularly Dick Johnson Racing. Uh, they... Uh, it's not a guarantee that they'll get changes, but it basically is. Uh, they had already come up with some changes that they wanted for Bathurst and uh, had the parts ready. And we've even heard suggestions that there were Ford teams pulling parts off their cars on the Thursday morning once they got knocked back. Um, so it sounds like now this parody review will probably be uh, a box ticking exercise. Um there will be uh, adjustments to both ends of the Mustang. They'll uh, I'll just insert another piece where the uh, cheeks are on the front bar and they'll also um, make some mods to the rear wing, make it uh, a little bit wider, but probably take away that gurney. The idea is just to uh, shift the downforce balance toward the rear a bit more. That's been uh, a theme since pre-season that the... Uh, that the Mustang has too much front and not enough rear, which would make it a better qualifying car than uh, a race car, at least relatively speaking. And that is broadly consistent with what's played out on the track. Um, so they will, those changes will be made in time for the Gold Coast, assuming the likely event that they are approved. Do we expect that the changes will help the Mustangs? Well, during... Uh, during races is the is the part where they need help, isn't it? It is during races. To be honest, I don't think we'll see much of a difference at uh, the Gold Coast. At least that's not a, a particularly aero sensitive track. That's more of a you know a ball ring, relatively slow. Um, quite a few corners in there, but no long corners. So Gold Coast, no Adelaide, uh, we might. There are obviously a couple of quick sections there. There's uh, the run down Bartels Road into Ketterville Terrace with the uh, Turn 8 sweeper linking those two straights. We might see an effect at Adelaide. I don't think we'll see one at the Gold Coast. So uh may well be that the jury is still out. It all sounds like a little too late. It, yeah, it, it, it does. Um, you know, Ford had... Ford and DJR had their uh, their first crack at this in Townsville or before Townsville, and that uh, didn't produce the changes to their liking. They're arguing, of course, that they didn't have the full CFD map, the uh, computational fluid dynamics, the sort of computer sim of uh, the aerodynamic work um, until August, which of course is after Townsville. On the Chev side, they're saying, well, if if Triple Eight could get it right at the start of the year, then, uh, then why couldn't you guys? So that's a, an interesting debate to be had there. But, yeah, it's, it seems now that, um, well, yeah, regardless, I mean, it's the title's going to go to a chef team anyway, isn't it? And then there's the 2024 Supercars schedule and why it's stalled. We're looking at uh, 13 events. There are a couple of doubts about the bend, but I think that's going to stay on where it goes. I'm not 100% sure because it looks like Sydney might take its place 
on the calendar. The Bend, of course, hosted supercars in uh, August this year, mid-August. The hold-up at the moment is and has been for some time Newcastle or lack thereof. So uh, this year's season opener was the final event in the uh, inaugural Newcastle deal. And that's been the subject of uh, ongoing talks. It's a three-way agreement between supercars, the state government and council. Supercars, of course, wants it to happen. The state government has put up the money for it, but uh, only one year. And that is, so they say, a a sticking point with council. It's unpopular with certain residents. It's politically risky, but it's also politically risky to go against uh, a new contract. So at the moment, it seems that we're in a a standoff. Council is um, certainly the Labor councillors. They're stalling on a commitment saying that um, that the problem is that the one-year funding agreement that the state government is putting up is not consistent with the consultation they did of uh, residents and business owners in the city, which was based on uh, another five-year deal. That was the uh, option in the original contract. So we're at a standoff. Matters are going to come to a head pretty soon. Supercars, of course, needs to lock down a calendar. We understand there's going to be a meeting with teams this week about it. It doesn't mean that we're going to see it released publicly this week. We might, probably, will get it by the Gold Coast. Uh, it be interesting to see what the season opener is. At the moment, it's looking more likely than not that Bathurst will be the backup plan for the uh, for the first event of 2024. As Pete Cafe has revealed, twinning the supercars opener with the Bathurst 12 hour next February at Mount Panorama is very likely as hopes for the Newcastle 500 fade. Here's Daniel on that. There's a little bit of concern about um, about how this might affect the 12 hour. It seems that they found a creative way around that they're going to have uh, one big. 10-day event seems to be the plan at the moment. So the Bathurst 12-hour would keep its uh, new February weekend, the 16th to the 18th, and then the uh, supercars would go racing on the weekend after, uh, but it would all count technically as one event, which is important because uh, Mount Panorama only has five slots for race events uh, in any given year, and they're all taken at the moment, including by the Bathurst 1000 and the Bathurst 12-hour, which, of course, supercars owns. Well, it doesn't sound such a bad idea, and it's uh, an efficient solution to a a very large problem. Yeah, it, it's something uh, unique. Supercars doesn't have a lot of options for uh, event one of the season because contractually it has to be New South Wales, and the only other option then if you can't get Newcastle up is Sydney Motorsport Park now. That has uh, pluses and minuses. You could at least have some night racing and and put on a big show there. Uh, but for whatever reason, there's a, a reluctance to go that way. So uh, Bathurst is is the other is the other option, and and you'll try and make a big event out of Bathurst in this extravaganza involving uh, GT threes and then into supercars a week later. So we're looking at thirteen events, including the return to New Zealand. At Topol. This weekend, arguably the most exciting motorsport series returns to one of the greatest circuits in the world. 
it's the Australian Motorcycle Grand Prix at Philibon, which rarely disappoints. Now, Daniel Herrero also happens to be our resident MotoGP expert, and he says Aussie hope Jack Miller is an outside island contender on his KTM. He's an outside contender, you'd have to say. He He's a rider who tends to lift at Phillip Island, even back to his uh, early Pramac days. Um, it is his home track. He doesn't have any particular experience advantage compared to the rest of the field because it's not like he uh, he spent his much of his formative years racing bikes around there at home. Um, but, yeah, al- always seems to, uh, to perform well at Phillip Island. The battle really, though, you know, it's probably going to come down to the uh, Ducatis again. You know, we've seen a, a ding-dong battle in the championship at the moment between uh, Francesco Bagnaia and Jorge Martin. And uh, no reason to see that not continuing this weekend at the island. So, is Philip Island going to be crucial, decisive for the world championship battle? Well, I think they're all decisive at the moment. It, it's become a a back and forth between Bagnaia and uh, Martin. Of course, uh, Martin actually threw away the championship lead in the last 24 hours at uh, Mandalika in Indonesia. He'd just taken the lead with uh, a fourth straight sprint race victory on the Saturday and uh, was leaving the Grand Prix race on Sunday afternoon and crashed out. And uh, Bagnaia, who only qualified 13th, which of course is very poor, didn't even make it to Q2, he, uh, he came through and took the victory. So he's back in front. It's uh, 18 points between them, which is half an event's worth of points, 25 for a Grand Prix win and 12 for a sprint race win. So uh, everything left to play for. We're not going to have the title decided this weekend. There are still four rounds to go once the field leaves Phillip Island, but certainly going to be a, a crucial weekend. It's tightly poised at the moment in MotoGP. Daniel Herrera will lead Speed Cafe's full coverage from Philip Island. Back after this important message. Speedcafe.com, your number one source for all the latest motorsport news and features. Breaking news, live event updates, unprecedented global motorsport coverage, performance motoring news and reviews, all in the palm of your hand Anywhere, anytime. Speedcafe.com. First, fast and free. You're listening to the Speed Cafe Newscast. It was a big weekend of racing here and around the world. With a roundup of all the action, here's Jackie. In Indonesia, Francesco Bagnaia made MotoGP history, securing the 500th Premier Class win for Michelin. Bagnaia fought his way to the front for the historic win after starting Sunday's race in 13th. Jorge Martin was leading before crashing out at Turn 11. Aprilia's Maverick Vinales finished second. Fabio Cotteraro was third. Australian Jack Miller was seventh on his KTM bike. He later admitted to an embarrassing crash in pit lane after Saturday's sprint race. The IMSA WeatherTech Sports Car Championship held its prestigious Petit Le Mans season finale where Tom Blomquist, Colin Braun and Helio Castroneves won for Acura. New Zealander Scott Dixon was second in a Cadillac along alongside Sebastian Bourdais and Ranger van der Zender. Less than half a second separated the two 
at the end of the 10-hour event. Aussie Matt Campbell was fourth in his Porsche, while Josh Burden scored a podium in the LMP3 class. Kyle Larson scored victory at the NASCAR Cup Series in a dramatic sprint to the finish line at the Las Vegas Motor Speedway. He narrowly fought off Christopher Bell in second. Kyle Busch completed the top three. Earlier in the weekend, 31-year-old Larson took a detour to Indianapolis where he passed his Indy 500 Rookie Orientation Program test with ease. In the Adelaide Hills Rally, reigning Australian Rally Championship leader Lewis Bates won with Anthony McLaughlin defeating his brother and Toyota team teammate Harry Bates. Harry had won all of Sunday's morning stages before picking up a 25-second time penalty and spinning out, falling back to fifth. Third went to Eddie McGuire in his Skoda Fabia. Lewis is now within reach of taking back-to-back titles. And in the New Zealand Rally Championship, Shane Van Gisbergen came second to Hayden Patton by a margin of less than 30 seconds. It marks Patton's seventh championship title. Third went to Ben Hunt. At the Shell V Power Motorsport Park, the Shannon's Trophy Series hosted its third and final round, the Porsche Michelin Sprint Challenge headlined with a thrilling penultimate event. Marco Giltrap took two wins, but it was Aaron Shields who took victory in the final Jim Edwards Endurance Cup event of the season. Sonic dominated the Australian Formula Ford Series finale where Jake Santalucia took one victory and title winner Matt Hillier the other, with the pair finishing 1-2 in the outright series standings. In the Mobile One Australian Production Car Series, Colby Cowham and Lindsay Kearns took the round win in their class. In the Workhorse Radical Cup, Alex Gardner was the winner of both races. In the Australian Prototype Series, Mark Lork took a clean sweep of wins on home turf. In the Mark Cars Australia Series, John Goodacre, Danny Studdard and Jeff Taunton shared the wins. The Circuit XLSA Series rounded out the Shannon's Trophy Series, where Victorian Charlie Nash dominated the round, taking the pole and all three victories. And in in Sydney at the TA2 Muscle Car Series, TCR Australia driver Jordan Cox dominated in his guest appearance. Cox took pole and all four race wins. He was followed by Tom Heyman and series leader Dylan Thomas. Thanks, Jackie. Finally, big news here at Speed Cafe. Multi-award winning journalist and podcaster Andrew Van Leeuwen has joined as editor-in-chief. AVL comes to us from the globalmotorsport.com network to add even more authority to our coverage. And i got to say, he's been the bane of my existence for several years, breaking big news stories with monotonous regularity. Well, now we're on the same side, and AVL plans to shake things up. Andrew Van Leeuwen. Welcome to Speed Cafe. So what's the plan? Are you going to shake things up? Look, that is the plan, I guess, folks. The good thing about, you know, firstly, thank you for the for the welcome. It's still a little weird to be part of the Speed Cafe team, having been on the other side uh, of Speed Cafe since it started and since it really came along and, and shook things up. I mean, I remember I was at Motorsport News when Speed Cafe came along, uh, led by Grant Rowley at that time, and it certainly gave us a pretty hard time trying to compete with a website. Doing stuff daily was pretty difficult in the sort of magazine or the e-news world we were in at that time. So, you know, since then, I've always been on the other side of the fence to Speed Cafe, but, um, you know, this opportunity to come on board, lead the way uh, in terms of the editorial and try and build on the amazing foundations there is just like, it's usually exciting. So yeah, look, I, I want to shake things up, but we're starting from a good base. It's obviously got an amazing 
supporter base and amazing readership already. Um, some, you know, excellent journalists such as yourself on board. So we're starting from a pretty strong point and I just want to come in and make sure we sort of keep heading in the right direction and, and, and keep making Speak FA the place to go and get the best and the most accurate uh, news and the best and the most insightful, you know, analysis and opinion that's out there in the Australian motor racing media space. Well, that's a big call because you've been for many years now, part of a global motorsport website. So your mission statement's pretty bold. Yeah, it definitely is. But, you know, I think that we've got an ownership group that is pretty ambitious as well. Um, obviously, there are, you know, plans to try and expand globally. So the experience I have through Motorsport Network, and that really was some wonderful experience I got over the last eight and a half years, you know, working with some of the absolute best in the business on a global front, you know, guys guys like John Noble and Formula One and, and you know, just people that really know what they're doing. Um, you know, I think I've got some good insight in, into how that world works and what works and what doesn't. Um, and, you know, I think, you know, when we have owners that are, that, that are so passionate about motor racing and want to see this business expand and grow, you know, that's just something that's, uh, that's hard to, to not be enthusiastic about and not want to come in and, you know, grab the opportunity with both hands and, and run with it. So, you know, it's, uh, it's just, it's just a really exciting thought to sort of, uh, to sort of be able to lead a team. Um, lead an editorial team with the support of people that really want to see this business, you know, go to an even bigger step, take an even bigger step and go to an even better place than it's already in. ABL is looking forward to running a local team with a global outlook. What I'm really looking forward to now is actually working, you know, with, with a local team again, because I've had amazing support from Motorsport Network over the past eight years. But in terms of providing coverage from Australia. I've really been doing that on my own, working on my own time zone. Um, the only person that had, was fully focused on supercars. Um, so what I'm just really looking forward to is, you know, heading to the Gold Coast next week and working with yourself folks and working with Dan Herrero and having people to bounce ideas off and all that sort of stuff, because that makes us all better when we all have different ideas and we all have different contacts and we all have different ways of finding out information and, and, and the opportunity to be able to actually work with, with people that are invested um, in supercars. That's something, you know, that was a massive draw card for me in terms of taking this role because, you know, I, I love supercars, you know, for better or for worse, you know, we've all, we're all critical of it at times, but it really is an amazing series. I think it's something we're super lucky to have. Um, so the opportunity to really be embedded in that world is, is, and, and work with other journalists that are covering that sport or that category full time, that was something that, that very attractive and I think is going to help us all, you know, provide better coverage through Speed Cafe going forward. And then obviously, you know, there's already a good Formula One preference. Uh, sorry, cut that bit out. Grant, I assume Grant's going to edit this. Um, there's already a good Formula One um, presence uh, on Speed Cafe. We can build on that. And there's, you know, with, you look at something like NASCAR, you know, that's going to be huge next year once Shane Van Gisbergen gets in there. So, We'll have some focus there. You know, there's just, there is so much scope to just keep building on the foundation that Speak FA is, and that's just going to be a lot of fun. Indeed, it is a big team, and we've got all the ground covered. So, AVL, you have a brand, AVL. Uh, as I said, welcome to Speak Cafe, and we look forward to exciting times ahead. 
it's going to be great, folks, and I can't wait to work with you. And we're going to do some podcasting together at some point, I would imagine, which is obviously a real passion of mine as well. And, uh, yeah, it's just going to be a great ride. I really can't wait to get started. Our lineup couldn't be stronger with the best supercars newsbreakers in the business. Plus, our world-class Formula One coverage. That's it for now. Back late next Monday with the latest breaking news. In the meantime, go to speedcafe.com for everything that's happening in motorsport. And tune in on Thursday to the Speed Cafe podcast, discussing and debating what's really going on. I'm Mark Fogarty. Thanks for listening. You've just listened to a Speed Cafe Pod Hub production.